Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky. Lucky in line at the deli, I guess. Aha! In my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Quote at AAA.com slash insurance and save by bundling auto and home. Hello and welcome back to the Cricket Unfiltered podcast. I'm your co-host, Menas. Joining me this week is Paul Dennett. Just Paul, how are you? Good, how are you? I enjoyed the England-Pakistan test match significantly, even though my tip for Pakistan was ultimately proven incorrect. But I feel like I had a, a moral victory. They showed enough to show that they, they probably should have won. Yeah, I agree. What a ripping test match to start that series off. Four days of you know hard-fought hard cricket. It, the, the game ebbed and flowed. So I agree with you. It was a great um, test match, and I enjoyed it very much. Um, and in today's episode of Cricket Unfiltered, we're going to wrap up all the cricket headlines. Then we're going to bring it on home with Can't Let It Go. But, Paul, before we you turned on the recorder, you were feeling quite positive about the upcoming Boxing Day test. Tell me and the listeners more. Well, I'm, I'm hopeful. Um, as we go to air, the, uh, the coronavirus cases in Victoria are still substantial, but they are seemingly plateauing. Uh, sadly, we've had another 19 people die um, overnight, so it's it's a very serious situation down there. But I'm optimistic that the very strong lockdowns and, and curfews that they now have will work, and that hopefully, when the numbers do get very low, they then stay the course and say, "Let's resist the temptation to reopen too early. Let's aim for what happened in New Zealand." And if they can do all that, even though it now seems fanciful almost, I still can see a Boxing Day test going ahead with a crowd. And that's what Cricket Australia has said will be one of the determining factors, that if they can't have a crowd, then they'll look to move it elsewhere. So I'm still hopeful that we might get a crowd at the MCG for Boxing Day this year. And is the basis of your hope what we've seen happen in New Zealand, where they've been able to reduce the numbers to a point where they can have basically full crowds at their, their rugby games? 
Yeah, I think so. And also what's happened in Western Australia, South Australia, Tasmania, the Northern Territory, and, you know, Queensland and New South Wales uh, virtually at that point, or Queensland are virtually at that point, and, and New South Wales, are, you know, have very low community transmission. So it's shown that it can be done. And as I said, I think the main thing will be that the, the temptation to say, let's open up when, when case numbers are low, will hopefully be stopped and they'll say, let's stay a few more weeks so that we can get case number zero so we never have to do this again. And if they can do that, then um, it'll be a close run thing, but I, I could see it happening. Well, I enjoy your positivity, Paul. I'm not sure about it at this stage. I, I think there's so many possibilities. So I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm not sure whether it'll go ahead or not, but let's get into the cricket headlines brought to you by Piccolo Podcast. And the first one is England have taken a 1-0 series lead with a three-wicket win over Pakistan in the first test after trailing by 107 runs in the first innings. Chasing 277, England slumped to five for 117 on the fourth day. But then Butler with 75 and Wokes with 84 not out smashed England to a three-wicket win. You'd have to say, Paul, great test match. Pakistan really squandered an opportunity here not to go 1-0 up in the series. Absolutely. And that period of play around about the time of the fifth wicket and just after, I've rarely seen anything like it. Uh, if, you, if you didn't get a chance to see it, the fifth wicket was Ollie Pope being out to one of the most brutish deliveries I've ever seen. It exploded from nowhere, smashed him on the wrist, just caught the edge of his glove and ballooned up and he was out caught. Uh, no batsman in the world would have been able to survive. WG Grace used to famously say, I hate defensive strokes because you can only get three of them. I think even the doctor might have struggled with that ball. Um, and, and Stokes had copped a really nasty wrong one as well. It just looked like a minefield. And you just gave Pakistan almost certainty that they were going to win. And all of a sudden, Butler and Wokes had a conversation along the lines of, well, we're going to get out. We might as well play some shots. And within about three overs, they'd scored plenty. The field got pushed back. They started to do it easily. And from looking like certain victors, suddenly there was this almost an inevitability that England was going to win. It was, it was a remarkable turnaround. It was. Uh, I heard Wokes and Butler talking after the match that exactly as you say, when they saw that ball spit to Pope, they thought, well, we'd better play a few shots here because it's not going to work just surviving. But they did say that after that ball to Pope, you know, no other ball basically hit the crack. The only one that did, I think, went so wide it was ineffective. So uh, I, I think that ball from Pope was kind of the last bit of sort of spice we saw out of the wicket. And Pakistan probably weren't able to hit that crack as much as they would have liked, which was just outside the fifth stump at one end. I What I liked about this this test match, Paul, was it had everything. It had stoic batting by Sham Massoud on the first day where he, he got through the new ball that was moving around and some good bowling by England. I mean, that was crucial stuff we saw on that first day. Um, they didn't score quickly, but they were able to just get through that tricky period. Then we saw Barbara Azam open up. And then, you know, moving forward, we saw great fast bowling on both sides. And you add in sort of two quality leg spinners, but especially Yassir Shah. Uh, the, the match just had everything for a cricket purist. Yeah, it certainly did. Also along those lines, uh, uh, Barbara Azam played a lovely counter-attacking innings, as you mentioned. Ollie Pope in the first innings, his 60-odd, the, the runs that he scored that, that evening, um, he came out with the score, I think, 3 for 13. And again, a little bit like Butler and Wokes did later on. He was positive. He, he looked to get quick singles. He, he played aggressively. And I think he's an absolutely uh, 
class player. He, he got out to two terrible balls in this match. Not only the second innings one, the one he got in the first innings was was um, almost unplayable as well. I, I think he is England's best batsman now. Um, I, I pick him ahead of Root. I pick him ahead of Stokes. If I am an opposition team, he's the one I fear most. Ollie Pope. Big time. Wow. Average is 60 in first-class cricket. Uh, and that's not on the, you know, on the back of small sample size. He's played several seasons. And the way he played in this, in this match, uh, he just looked a class, a classy, classy player. And as I said, the only way he got out was to two of the most unplayable balls I've ever seen. Pakistan's second innings, I guess, will be a big regret for them, getting bundled out for under 200 uh, when they really needed just one player to anchor that innings and, and get a score sort of above 200, 250. That would have pushed that lead, you know, well above 300. And you, you, don't, think New Zealand, uh, you don't think England would have been able to get there. So Pakistan, you know, squandered that opportunity to, to really put the pressure on England. I've got some Scottish friends who always say that whenever Scotland is leading in a game of international football, they always find a way to, to lose it. And I think there'd be some Pakistani fans who'd feel the same, that they played so well in this match. That run out that um, when they were just getting the partnership together, and I think it was uh, Asad Shafiq and Mohammad Rizwan, um, that, that, that run out that, that they had was just the kind of the moment that they didn't need. Another 30 or 40 runs there, and they probably would have put it past, um, past England's. Even on that fourth morning where you see Shah played a few shots and got that target up to about 277, uh, that really, I thought, took the game from England. But they were good enough, England. Wokes and Butler, just a phenomenal partnership. As you say, they streaked away and they scored the first 50 runs in their partnership at almost a run a ball, I think. And then from there, they sort of knuckled down and they played sensible cricket. The field was spread and... Uh, Wokes was very impressive, but Butler as well. You know, there'd been talk going into this match that he was sort of on his last legs as an England test player. Well, that inning certainly put those um, thoughts to bed. It's interesting because it certainly put them to bed for the time being, but the the general consensus over there is he can't continue to keep this badly. You know, he dropped um, two catches, he missed a stumping, and he just had lots of instances where he couldn't seem to, to glove the ball. And... Uh, you know, it's, it's a very interesting one because uh, what do you do with him? If he, if he bats like that, you can't leave him out of the side. But if he keeps on dropping catches, then that's untenable. So uh, I really loved the interviews with Butler and Wokes after the game and, and the, their honesty and, and Butler sort of acknowledging how he owed the side runs. He said if he'd kept properly, they would have won it uh, several hours beforehand. And Wokes as well saying how badly he'd been batting of late. Um, so uh, they, they are quite a likeable side, uh, England, which I know that... Um, you probably don't share with me, but I, I find their, their players um, quite nice to listen to. Uh, interesting one as well with Wokes, that his away record as a bowler is abysmal and his home record is absolutely top class. I look at him and I, I think there's no reason that he couldn't succeed um, away. And I, I still think they shouldn't draw a line through him when they're looking at the next Ashes squad. Yeah, I agree with that. And just on the likeable thing... I... Personally, I think some of the English players are likable characters. Even Jimmy Anderson on his podcast, I've you know, grown to like him a bit more, but I still want them to lose every game they play. <laughs> <laughs> that has never changed, no matter how likable they are. A couple of things um, from that test. I guess the first one is it was the first test where they used the front foot no ball being called by the umpire, the third umpire. And what I mean... It, I don't want to say enjoyed about this whole um, pandemic and what it's done to sport, uh, but what it has done is it's made all sports innovate. 
We've seen it in baseball. We've seen it in the rugby codes here, the football codes here. They've all innovated in different ways. And we're seeing that with cricket. I think, you know, using the third umpire for the front foot, no balls is a good thing. And I'm surprised it took this long and a pandemic for them to do it. Oh, yeah. I mean, I sent out a tweet saying that I thought that the, the usage of the third umpire for no balls may well be humanity's greatest achievement. And <laughs> I mean, I suppose the, the moon landing was good, but um, this is, I just enjoyed it so much. It's ridiculous how much pleasure I got from it because it's just the, the notion, the notion that so many wickets were falling on no balls because the lead, the lead up ones weren't being called. And I know it's the bowler's fault, but I always found it so unsatisfying. Um, the dissatisfaction I got when the team that I was supporting had a wicket taken off them from a no ball was not matched by the satisfaction I got when my team um, had a wicket re- restored. Um, and so it was just a very unsatisfying experience. Now it's, um, it's much, much better. And even just with the DRS, now they go straight to, rather than, you know, yes, just give me the front foot first, spare delivery. Instead, they can just say, we've checked the no ball, on we go. That five or seven seconds, just spices, it just speeds everything up and makes it much more watchable. But yeah, um, they, they should have done it many, many years ago, given they've had successful trials in the past. This is something that should have been in in, in, in 2010, but I'll take 2020. I can imagine you on your couch cheering when the third umpire calls another no ball. He's got another one! Yes! <laughs> so, um, so uh, England lead the series 1-0. They head to uh, Southampton now for the next two Test matches. Big loss for them, though. Ben Stokes unavailable for the rest of the series. He's had to travel from England to New Zealand because his father's not well. Um, obviously, sad situation for him and his family. And, um, you know, big loss for the England side. Yeah, definitely. Um, and uh, obviously, we wish wish him and his family all the best. Um, from a cricketing point of view, it will be interesting as to what that means for the selection because if he had been able to bowl, and he did come in and, and take two wickets in this test match, even though nominally he'd been playing as a batsman only, but if he'd been available for selection for the next test and was able to, to bat and bowl, that may have put pressure on um, some of the England bowlers, uh, including Jimmy Anderson. There's a lot of speculation that his career could be on its last legs. What do you think? What do I think? I think Anderson aiming to tour Australia in the next Ashes series might be a a bridge too far from him. He's 38 years old. Uh, He's, he's still bowling well. I mean, he's still got the ability to make that ball talk, but I don't know if you want him coming out to Australia uh, the summer after next and competing in the Ashes. And, And, you know, maybe it's the time now to move him on and start to bring in the next brigade. He hasn't bowled terribly this summer, although, in the three test matches, he's taken six wickets at an average of 41, which is vastly worse than his normal returns in England. He bats at 11, which has to be factored in. Um, you look at, say, lining him up against someone like Sam Curran, if you're picking the side for the next test match, and all you're interested in is winning that next test. Well, you also say that all the competing bowlers are better batters than Anderson. Yeah, um, and that's not what you should base it on, but it can't be ignored either. Um, That's the Rod Marsh um, theory of selecting bowlers. What, if they're equal, you consider batting, otherwise you don't? No, remember when he uh, picked Joe Many over Jackson Bird and said Jackson Bird batting wasn't as strong as <laughs> That's right. <laughs> um, last week, we got a question just before the show. I didn't have time to look at it. It was from Senor Brain Damage, 
Um, which current bowlers do you think will get 500 test wickets? So I've taken that question under advisement and had a look. I'll read out the contenders. Rabada, Cummins, Ashwin, Lyon, Sharma, Southie, Bolt, Stark and Hazelwood. Obviously, some of the really young bowlers like um, Naseem Shah and others potentially could be, but those that have a bit of a record. I think all of those have a chance, but if I had to say yes or no at the moment, the only one I'm saying yes to out of all of them is Nathan Lyon. Ashwin, I'd almost say yes, but I'm going 60-40 that he's a no. Um, But Nathan Lyon, to me, 390 wickets from 96 tests. He's 32. I think he will get to 500. Yeah, I agree. That's the only one for me that I think will get to 500 uh, from this current crop. I find it really hard to uh, back a fast bowler to get 500 wickets because it's just so hard on your your body. Uh, It's really hard for a fast bowler to have that longevity. You look at McGrath and Anderson and Walsh and Broad, as the, the, you know, the four fast bowlers above 500 wickets. That, that's just a phenomenal achievement. I don't know whether any of these bowl, fast bowlers can, can go for as long as they have. I guess Jimmy Anderson's on 590 test wickets. Do you think he'll make 600, Paul? I think he will. Um, and then he's got Kumble in sight, who's on 619, and that would take him to, to third of all time. I think they will be reluctant to drop him at this stage. And I, I still think he's bowling well enough to, to, to edge up to, to 600. Um, Rabada's another one there. You look, 197 wickets from 43 tests, and he's only 25. You'd have to say that he is a, a definite chance of getting there. But I agree with you. You just look at the, the, the potential injuries and everything else that can occur. Pat Cummins, 143 wickets from only 30 tests, and he's now 27 a long way off 500. His body's been very solid in recent years, but it's a, it's a long way to go. I think Lyon and Ashwin are the two that are the, are the best chance of taking 500 test wickets. All right, the next cricket headline. The World T20 that was scheduled for Australia later this year that we has been officially postponed has now been moved to 2022. So India will host the 2021 World T20 tournament as was planned and Australia will then host it the year after. I'm very happy with this decision, Paul. I think it's very sensible. Gives Australia more time to prepare for it. And it also means you're not moving two tournaments. You're just moving one. I agree. As an Australian, I'm very happy with this because um, I think that with 2021, it's coming around quite quickly and uh, who knows what the situation will be in October next year whether everything's fine. I think Australia hopefully will be in a, in a solid position, but if other countries are still really battling around it, you probably might not be able to get all the uh, Indian tourists coming out and watching t- watching the matches and everything else. So by 2022, I think there's a much stronger chance that um, it'll be a, able to be a normal tournament. From a world point of view, though, I'd have been maybe thinking they should have pushed India back a year because sadly at the moment with the India coronavirus situation, it's getting worse and worse by the day. Australia maybe would be a safer option for that next year. But as I said, as an Australian, I'm happy. Yeah, I know um, coming out of India, there were the reports that you know, India have sorted out all their sponsors for next year's tournament. And had that tournament been moved, they would have had to renegotiate them. So from a business standpoint, take away the health concerns, um, India were quite happy to leave their tournament uh, for, in 2021. I agree with that, but I think that ultimately those business concerns would become trivial in the light of if coronavirus is still 
impacting them as it may well be um, in, in, in a year's time. So yeah, uh, it won't be much good if there's no tournament. Well, that's exactly right. Yeah. Um, so, uh, and look, maybe they'll just have to have it in a bubble um, and that would be a very, very strong logistical operation that maybe they'd have to put it in Sri Lanka or UAE. Um, actually, Sri Lanka would be a possibility given that they have handled the virus very, very well. Um, you know, maybe that'd be a possibility of having it there. You, you could have crowds, but it's just all speculation. It's 14 months away. Who knows what situation we'll be in by then. Now, I saw an interesting point on Crick Info that recently, recently the ICC wrote to the BCCI saying it reserved the right to take away the 2021 Men's T20 World Cup from India after the BCCI failed to secure a tax exemption for the tournament from the Indian government. The ICC has given the BCCI until the end of the year to resolve this issue. So potentially Australia could be hosting both. Well, Australia, if Australia hosts both, it'll be because of coronavirus. It won't be because of that issue. Um, I know nothing about that, the, the politics behind that, but my instinct is to say that there is absolutely no chance whatsoever at all in hell that that could ever be a serious issue. Um, the BCCI... Uh, we, we just turn to the ICC and say, listen, we run cricket, you don't, for a start, um, you know, go away. And secondly, the Indian government will give them the, the, the tax exemption. Um, you know, that's, um, I think there's more chance of uh, uh, interplanetary life arriving and landing on um, the main cricket grounds and disturbing it than, than that being an issue. A good point, though, Menace. <laughs> <laughs> All right, the next cricket headline. Unfortunately, the women's 50-over World Cup that was scheduled for New Zealand in early 2021 has been postponed a year to February-March 2022. Obvious concerns over biosecurity um, were one of the reasons. Also, it was highlighted by a lot of the other uh, nations that would be competing that if it were to go ahead, there was a chance that a lot of these teams would come into the tournament having played no cricket for months and months and months leading up to the tournament and that f- therefore the standard of some of the nations would have been significantly down. Um, so I have no problems with them moving in that back a year. Definitely the right decision. Um, it makes complete sense to do it that way and, and, and hopefully it can be a, a quite a normal tournament, whereas if it was to be in February 2021, it wouldn't be a normal tournament. So that means we could have a, a spate of international tournaments with the world t20 men's uh supposed to take place the end of next year then the the women's 50 over world cup then the men's t20 world cup again and then the year after the men's 50 over world cup so you could have four stellar tournaments in two years all right the next headline that australian cricket stars are sort of going into confinement and lockdown as we record this, Paul. Obviously, the Victorian players will be um, in lockdown in Melbourne, so that's fine. But with a potential tour to England set to go ahead in the next few weeks, they, they, they might be leaving in two weeks to England if it all goes to plan. I know that the New South Wales players, the Australian New South Wales players, have been, invi- have been advised to to basically go into a sort of a mild lockdown where they basically go to training and go home. Yeah. Um, that's, that's, that seems to be the case. Um, it will be 
a fascinating series that that series against uh, England because I wonder if there's a temptation from England to try to have some crowds. Um, they had some crowds at a, a sort of a trial county game the other day, and that seemed to work okay. Um, I, I think it'd be the wrong thing to do, and I think maybe Cricket Australia would say no. That's um, putting our players' health in, in too much uh, too much risk, but um, it might be something that they consider. There's also a report uh, from Ben Horn in the Daily Telegraph that it's firming that perhaps the team will, the Australian team will fly in and out of Perth, and when they fly back, they may be able to use the net facilities at the Wacker Ground while staying at a nearby hotel to do their quarantine. So you could have the bowlers maintaining some fitness and not having to completely stop bowling for two weeks. I think that has to be a, a, a prerequisite of, of all of this, that you can't have them um, not being out of bowl for two weeks. So whether it's that way or whether it's staying at a, a ground like Adelaide where they've got a hotel right there, then somewhere that, that has to be the case, I think. I don't know if you're aware, Paul, but Peter Siddle, the former Australian fast bowler, has been in lockdown. Well, in lock, not lockdown. He's been in quarantine in Tasmania for two weeks because he's he's moved from Victoria to Tasmania to play the Sheffield Shield. So he had to basically drive down from Melbourne, go straight into a hotel, lockdown for two weeks. Um, and he had his he took his exercise, he took his bike, his road bike, into his hotel room and put it on the the stand so he could you know, do fitness in his room. And he was allowed to sort of run around the car park once a day for 20 minutes. That's professional. I mean, if I was Peter Siddle and I've had a wonderful career and I've got a, you know, a season or two left in that two weeks, I have been, um, <laughs> I would have been sitting there drinking from the mini bar and ordering room service all day long. I would put on 10 kilos in two weeks. That is impressive dedication. <laughs> That's why. That's why we never play for Australia because he's a teetotaler vegan who was watching NBA in the morning, he said, and the um, footy at night. This is a big AFL fan, unfortunately. <laughs> um, all right, last headline. And let's, the, the big bash, there's been some interesting reports from the Sydney Morning Herald that Peter Hanscom appears increasingly likely to, impl- to have played his last match for the Melbourne Stars with the Sydney Thunder emerging as front runners for his signature. Also, Ben Cutting has been linked with the Sydney Thunder. Now, the Sydney Thunder are perennial battlers in the Big Bash, always struggling. And you, you can't help but think Ben Cutting and Peter Hanscom would be wonderful additions to their team. They need that kind of sort of match winning fibre. Peter Hanscom would be a great addition to the side. Um, I don't know, would Ben Cutting be suited by the wicket out there? As a, I mean, I look at Ben Cutting as, a, as a, a big-hitting batsman who can bowl a bit. That wicket doesn't really suit those sort of batsmen. It tends to be a bit slow. Um, so, yeah, you know, if I was him, I'd be wanting to go to somewhere like uh, Perth or somewhere. I, I would think with Cutting, though, with all his experience playing in T20 comps around the world, playing on wearing wickets, he'd be quite adept at bowling those cutters and slower balls. Or oh, he is quite adept at them actually so um yeah i I don't mind that um i'd be good to come have cutting in sydney he's one of those real entertainers he smashes the ball a long way so i wouldn't mind having that there was also an interesting point made in the sydney morning herald that there is some thought around international bubbles posing problems for the fringe australian players you know could you have some players say you know miss out on the test but 
then being unable to go and play domestic cricket. So they just have to stay in the bubble for the test series and just wait it out. My guess is that's what they'd have to do. There probably will also be a need for them to stay with the um, in the international bubble because if someone gets injured or if someone gets, um, uh, you know, if something happens, there's no real way to get someone into it. So that I think that will be inevitably the case. And I guess one point around this is, you know, we've seen it with the um, NRL, which is the, the rugby league competition here that, you know, one of the most high profile coaches um, broke the protocols, went out for lunch, has been completely unremorseful about it. So all you need is one bad egg to do something like that. And it could just jeopardize the whole thing. It's an interesting one because we had the situation in England where Joffre Archer put everything in jeopardy by popping into his home in between Southampton and, and Manchester. And he was apologetic about it though. Like Wayne Bennett, the rugby league coach is sort of said he just refusing to apologize. I mean, so if you get someone like with that sort of attitude, um, then it could stuff up the whole cricket bubble. Well, exactly. And that's where the economics of the situation and the reality of the situation need to be drilled into everyone. I think 95% of people will just get it instinctively. But for those who think, oh, well, what's it matter? I, you know, I didn't realistically put anything in jeopardy. Yes, I broke the rules, but it wasn't putting anything in jeopardy. They need to understand it doesn't work that way. If something happens during the Indian series that suddenly results in India saying, well, you've broken the bubble, we're going home and $200 million walks away with them, then that's an absolute disaster. So all the players need to be really um, rammed into them that they've got to abide by the the laws, no, no matter how draconian they seem. I ran into a cricketer yesterday who had gone into a pub on the day that they had someone with a diagnosed case of corona, and they'd only gone into that establishment to just use an ATM. But because of that, that establishment was then closed the day after and deep cleaned. Um, that player has now had to isolate from the rest of his team for two weeks just in case. So, yeah, it's, it's a very, um, you know, it's a, it's a tough situation for everybody. Um, all right. So that is the cricket headlines brought to you by Piccolo Podcasts. We're going to take a quick break, then we'll be back with Can't Let It Go. But I just want to remind you of a couple of things. Firstly, next week is the seven-year anniversary special for the Cricket Unfiltered podcast. It started in August 2013, just before the fifth test of the Ashes series, the test that Steve Smith made his maiden test century. So, um, you know, you can draw some correlation between that, um, that, uh, we were good luck for Steve Smith. Um, so we've been going for seven years. Um, so please send in your emails to auscricketpod. That's auscricketpod at gmail.com. We'd love to hear your memories. We've already got a couple, uh, but, you know, your favourite guests, favourite episodes, um, just send it all in um, to auscricketpod at gmail.com or you can send it in via Instagram and Twitter at auscricketpod. That's auscricketpod. Also, Paul, we've turned on a donation feature. That's right. Um, if you particularly enjoy any episode and feel like donating um, uh, a modicum of money, please click on and, and donate. And I think that's done through the Acast app. If you're listening on the Acast app, you can donate um, on that app. So, yeah, if, if anyone would love to donate, obviously it would be much appreciated. No sponsors for the show at the moment. And finally, uh, we are... Benching our weekly YouTube show for the moment, 
we're going to hold that off until cricket really ramps up probably in a month or two. And just a bit more news to talk about on the Thursdays. Paul and I really want to do the kind of live reaction show where, uh, you know, a match might have just finished or there's a team being announced and we can um, do a, a live reaction to it. So as soon as that's back, um, please, we'll let you know about it. But go on to YouTube, Cricket Unfiltered, subscribe to our channel and you'll get alerts when we release our next show. All right, coming up after the break, can't let it go. You're listening to the Cricket Unfiltered podcast with Paul and Menards. We're going to end this podcast with Can't Let It Go, that little bit of cricket news you can't let go through to the keeper. Paul, what's yours this week? Well, mine relates to the, the Wokes and Butler partnership, and it confirms once again that, in my opinion, one of the great tru- truisms of test cricket is wrong. What everyone loves to say is that, oh, you need in test cricket to be someone who can just occupy the crease, let the, the good balls go, make the bowler bowl to you, Yes, that's sometimes right. And Sean Massoud did that in the first innings. But I think more often than not, the right way to play is to play with a bit of judicious aggression. And that's what the Wokes and Butler did. And Men has mentioned it earlier in, the, earlier in the show that the pitch seemed to flatten out as soon as they started doing that. And it probably didn't change. It's probably just that the, the bowlers were put off their line. And of course, the field was then pushed back. And then Butler and Wokes were able to sort of milk the singles. So play your natural game, play aggressively and leave the slow acquisitional stuff to the occasional boycott. <laughs> All right. Uh, my can't let it go is on the first day of that test, Shan Masood played, a, I guess it was a lofted slog sweep to mid-wicket. And at the same time, the, the camera that they call on Fox Cricket, the Rover, I'm not sure what they call it on, on Sky Cricket, or, um, but, you know, it's the camera on wheels that goes around the outfield. And I've often thought, a little, you know, it's a bit strange to have this sort of camera just being wheeled around you know, by a remote control. Well, Sean Massoud hit it on the full with his six and put a massive dent on this um, mobile camera. Um, so, I mean, I, I enjoyed that, but, it, you know, it did sort of, you know, awaken my feelings of, around spider cam. And I just hope that someone can just hit spider cam and knock that bloody thing out of the ground because, uh, I just hate it. So um, the Rover's okay. I still think someone's going to trip over it one day and hurt themselves, but Spider Cam's got to go. What a Luddite you are. I could imagine us being in <laughs> 18, 1890, all this electricity. Oh, I've got candles. I don't need electric lights. Uh, <laughs> what are you bowling Spider- over arm for? <laughs> Spider Cam's great. It's great. I hate it. Just turn the cricket grounds into like a David Copperfield show or something. Uh, <laughs> All right, well, that's it for this edition of Cricket Unfiltered. Coming up next week, it's the seven-year anniversary special. Paul, the, the second test, England-Pakistan, starts this, this Thursday. Can't wait for that one. I'll be settling in with a cup of tea and a biscuit. Yeah, hopefully, hopefully we get a, a really good wicket at Southampton and, and hopefully Pakistan can continue to be competitive. And, um, yeah, I can't wait either. So we'll be back next week. Hopefully, Jaleesa will be back. We might have a special guest to celebrate Seven years of podcasting. Thanks for listening and back soon. Sports Social Podcast Network. 
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere playing at luckylandslots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18+ plus. terms and conditions apply. See website for details.